Welcome to Tom's SciCast, and I'm your host, Tom Kennedy. Now today, I want to talk about two things that are near and dear to my heart, astronomy and biology. You might be asking, you know, what in the world does astronomy have to do with biology? Well, it turns out quite a bit. And uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time. You know, when I was a little kid, first type of scientist that I wanted to be was an astronomer. I would go to the library. I would check out books on astronomy, read about all the wild galaxies and quasars and black holes, supernova explosions. But then later in life, I went on to go study biology. And I have to admit, there's a part of me that if I started all over again, I'd probably go into something like astrobiology. Because I've come to realize over the last few years that we are really connected to the universe. And I think that's really awesome, that we can combine both astronomy and biology. And yeah, even in that health-related science class, I still like to talk about astronomy. But let's think about this connection to the universe. We can begin by asking the question, well, what do you need for life? Or, what are the ingredients to life? All right, well, first of all, you know you need some elements like hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, among others. You can probably come up with some others like sodium, potassium, chlorine, iron. We need all of these things. But it's those carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and hydrogen. Those four elements, they combine into forming lots of different molecules, especially organic molecules that, of course, go on to make up life. Another ingredient to life is energy. And we all know that life requires energy. I mean, life takes in energy from the environment and it uses that energy to create order and maintain homeostasis. Without energy, without a constant supply of energy to be specific, you would never have life. So there you have it. We need some basic building blocks. We need elements and we need energy. Now the question comes down to, well, where did these come from? And the answer to where these things come from, they reveal our connection to the universe. So let's go to our most fundamental level here. What is the universe made of? And we know that there are three fundamental particles that make up all the matter in the universe. And those are protons, neutrons, and electrons. Oh, I know. Some of you into quantum physics are probably going, now wait a second now. Protons and neutrons are actually baryonic particles made up of even more fundamental particles called quarks. So yes, you take three quarks up, up, down, or down, down, up, and you make protons and neutrons. But for our purposes here, we're just going to stick with protons, neutrons, and electrons. Those three fundamental particles come together to make up 92 different elements. So where did they come from? To me, the answer where all the matter and energy came from is quite astounding. We didn't always know the answer. And the answer has its origins going back to 1915 when Einstein published his General Theory of Relativity. And the General Theory of Relativity is really an explanation of gravity. See, Newton just described how gravity worked, but Einstein proposed a theory called the General Theory of Relativity explaining how gravity worked. And out of the equations 
of Einstein's general theory of relativity, it showed that the universe is not static, but it's actually changing. And at the time, in 1915, everybody thought the universe was basically a static state. It wasn't changing. So Einstein, in the greatest blunder of his life, that's his words, not mine. I don't think he blundered very often. He introduced a cosmological constant to keep the universe at a steady state. Well, starting in the 1920s, a series of very large observatories are being made to advance our knowledge of astronomy. And at the time, the known universe was basically our galaxy. They could look deeper into the night sky, and they saw hundreds, thousands of other galaxies. And of course, Edwin Hubble is famous for realizing that the light coming from those galaxies was shifted to the red. So they were red-shifted. Now this could mean one thing. They were moving away from us. Everywhere Hubble looked in the night sky, he would see that the galaxies were moving away from us based on the fact that the light from them was shifted to the red. Because red light is longer than blue light. So if something's coming at you, it's going to be shifted toward the blue as the light waves get compressed. And if it's moving away from you, the light waves get elongated and look red. That's why a car, when it comes at you, is high-pitched. And as it drives away from you, it's low-pitched. Because the sound waves are either compressed when it's coming at you, or they're elongated as it moves away from you. And the same applies to light as well. Now think about this. There's some profound things being discovered here. First of all, you realize the universe is much larger than our galaxy. Much larger than anybody had ever thought. But the other observation, these galaxies are moving away from us. Now let's turn the clock back. What happens when you go back in time? Well, obviously they're coming at you. So the universe going forward in time is expanding. If you go backward in time, it's contracting. And if you take that to a logical conclusion, if you go back far enough in time, the universe had a beginning. And it was thought there was a giant explosion. Now, of course, in the 1940s, this famous astronomer Hoyle says, well, what was it? A Big Bang? And he called it the Big Bang to make fun of it. Oh, how irony works, right? Today, we call it the Big Bang, but the name Big Bang actually came from somebody making fun of the theory. Well, like all scientific theories, it's been well supported for the last hundred years, and we've made lots of observations of this. Now, the reason why the Big Bang is so important, because that was the beginning of our universe. Our universe had a beginning. And in that beginning, it created all the matter and all the energy in the universe. So think about this. We know that the fundamental building blocks of matter are protons, neutrons, and electrons. And they were created 13.7 billion years ago during the Big Bang. Now, all matter is made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. You are made up of matter. So what that means is that the fundamental building blocks that make up all the matter in the universe, including you, or the computer screen in front of you, or the headphones you're wearing, or the tree outside, or the rock, or the air, or our star, or anything else you observe. Those fundamental building blocks were made in an instant about 13.7 billion years ago. Wow. It's hard to imagine that like the protons inside of me are ancient. They have floated in space for billions of years. They have been inside stars 
and now they reside inside your body for a brief time in their lives. And interestingly, protons, electrons, and neutrons, for all intents and purposes, they don't really age. They can last 10 to the 25 years. That's like 100 million billion billion years. So for all intents and purposes, these things are eternal because they can last billions of times longer than our universe. And that's pretty wild. But as you know, we're not just protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? We're also made up of elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, along with some sodium, potassium, iron, and chlorine, right? And a few others. So where did those come from? Well, the answer lies to another one of our connections to the universe, and this is stellar processes. We are dependent on what happens inside of stars that lived and died billions of years ago. Well, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Think about that. We're here because of stars that lived and died billions of years ago. So let's talk about that. For about the first 200 million years or so, the universe continued to expand. And as it expanded, it of course cooled off. And as it cooled, it began to form the first elements. And of course, the most simple ones, hydrogen and helium. And today, the universe is still about 75% hydrogen. Hydrogen is element number one. It's got one proton and one electron. And the universe is also about 24% helium, which is two protons, but it also has two neutrons and two electrons. So helium is actually four times the mass of your average hydrogen atom. Shortly after the formation of the first elements, the hydrogen and helium began to form large clouds of gas. And one thing that's unique about matter in the universe, it creates gravity. And because of gravity, these large clouds began to condense and form the first stars. Now stars are unique, you see, because inside the heart of stars is a process called nuclear fusion. See, stars are so big that they reach millions of degrees in the center of them. It's so hot that the electrons are ripped away from the protons. And even though protons are positively charged, they normally repel each other, you know, like charges repel. But inside the heart of stars, it's so much pressure, so much energy from the heat that these protons can overcome that repulsive force and they stick together and they start forming helium nuclei. Now, in addition to forming helium nuclei, nuclear fusion also makes neutrons as well. And this process of nuclear fusion does several things. One, it generates enormous amounts of energy. And in fact, Nuclear fusion has been releasing energy from our sun for the last four and a half billion years. So all the energy that reaches our planet, that life converts to chemical energy, so all the energy inside of you came from nuclear fusion inside of our sun as it fuses hydrogen into helium. Now that's the second thing that nuclear fusion does. It creates additional elements. Now the universe is 75% hydrogen, that's just one proton, one electron. And it's also 24% helium. But we know that life needs more than just hydrogen. And life can't even use helium. It's one of the noble gases. It doesn't even form molecules. But before I talk about that, I just want to say really quickly 
that nuclear fusion, because it releases copious amounts of energy, it also prevents stars from collapsing further because the energy released from nuclear fusion also counteracts gravity. So let's get back to this creating other elements. See, our star for the last four and a half billion years has been slowly fusing hydrogen to helium. Now eventually, all stars run out of hydrogen. And at that point, the fusion of hydrogen into helium stops. Nuclear fusion stops. Smaller stars will basically end their life when nuclear fusion stops and they'll collapse down into these small objects called a white dwarf where they will slowly cool over billions of years. Now our star is a middle-aged star. It'll last about another three to four billion years. And at that time, nuclear fusion will end. But what will happen is that the outer layers will be shed and it will form a red giant. Now the inner part of our star will collapse once again and it will heat up and probably form lithium, beryllium, boron, and that's about it. And then the outer layers will float off and our star will form a white dwarf and it will cool over billions and billions and billions of years. Now larger stars is where things start to get a little bit more interesting. Stars that are larger than ours, their story doesn't end right there. They will turn into red supergiants and their cores will undergo a series of expansions and contractions. So when they run out of hydrogen, they'll shed their outer layers, their core will collapse and as it does so, it heats up and then a new round of nuclear fusion begins and they'll start forming heavier elements like carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and in really big stars, they will continue to fuse elements right up until the time they begin to fuse iron. And when you start fusing iron, wild things happen. You see, with each round of nuclear fusion, you get less and less energy released. So you get the most energy released when you fuse hydrogen to form helium. So by the time you're starting to form calcium and chlorine and potassium, you're releasing less and less energy. So this is where things start to pick up very quickly. Now you start to realize, hold on, all of those elements that we need for life are made in nuclear fusion and really big stars. Now let me come back to that fusing of iron. When a star begins to fuse iron together, it does not release enough energy to counteract gravity. So at this point, you have what is called a core collapse. The inside of the star collapses at like a third the speed of light. It's insanely fast. And it collapses so fast that it causes the star to actually explode and forms what is called a supernova explosion. These are some of the most cataclysmic events in the universe. When a star goes supernova, it can outshine a billion other stars in its galaxy. And in fact, a supernova might release more energy within a few days than our sun will release in its lifetime. I know, isn't that amazing? Well, these supernova explosions are really important for us. The first thing they do is they take all those heavier elements, the carbon, the nitrogen, the oxygen, and all those other trace elements we need for our body, and it scatters them out into space. So rather than locking them up away inside the star, supernova explosions scatter them throughout space. And in fact, our solar system, including our sun, 
is a second or third generation solar system. It was born in part from the remnants of a supernova that occurred over 5 billion years ago. So let's think about that. All the elements on our solar system that we need for life and to form our rocky planets, those are the remnants of stars that lived and died billions of years ago. So if you've ever heard the term we're stardust, well now you know. We are the remnants of ancient stars and it was those stellar processes of nuclear fusion and supernova explosions that created the elements that you need for life. And our other connection is, well, we've got our sun, right? And our sun through nuclear fusion, once again, a stellar process, is what provides all the life on this planet with the energy it needs. And I say all the life on this planet. There are ecosystems on this planet, deep sea marine vents, that do not need any type of sunlight at all. In fact, they're just using the energy from the Earth that's actually coming from radioactive decay, from like uranium and stuff like that. That's another thing that's kind of exciting. And because there are a few ecosystems on the Earth that don't rely on sunlight, those deep sea marine ecosystems, what that tells us is we might actually be able to find life on distant moons or planets where you don't have liquid water on the surface is what you would expect in the Goldilocks zone, but you might have liquid water due to geological processes or even tidal forcings like what you would get on Europa. But that search for life elsewhere, that's a subject of another podcast. I want to get back to us and how we're connected to the universe. I think we've made that case, right? The basic building blocks of matter and all the energy in the universe was created at an instant in time 13.7 billion years ago during the Big Bang. Shortly after the Big Bang, you start getting the first stars forming. And those stars created the elements that we need for life. Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, sodium, potassium, chlorine. You guys get the idea. And then supernova explosions scattered those elements so that we could form rocky planets like our Earth with the elements that we need to make molecules. And even today, the energy that powers life on this planet today and has for the last four and a half billion years, well, actually, life is about four billion years old, that energy has come from nuclear fusion inside of our star. And once again, that's a stellar process. That's pretty wild, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. Protons, neutrons, and electrons that are basically ageless, they form elements. Did you know that carbon? Carbon can last as long as the protons and neutrons in it. So carbon and all these other stable isotopes of elements that make up life, they're basically eternal as well. Nothing's totally eternal, but they could last billion, billion times longer than the age of our own universe. So for all intents and purposes, they could be around forever. So I told you earlier that those protons inside of you are ancient. They're 13.7 billion years old. Well, the carbon atoms inside you, the oxygen that you breathe, those are also more than 5 billion years old. The carbon inside of you was made inside of a star that lived and died billions of years ago. That carbon has floated in space. That's amazing, isn't it? It has been in rocks. And most recently, before it got inside of you, 
It was almost certainly a molecule of carbon dioxide that was fixed by a plant through photosynthesis. And then we ate that plant or we ate the animal that ate that plant. So you have carbon atoms in you. You've got oxygen atoms in you that were in dinosaurs millions of years ago. But there is actually more to the connections of life to the universe. One of the other important ingredients to life is water. Now water, of course, is a molecule. It's made up of one atom of oxygen and two atoms of hydrogen. So it's H2O. That's water. And water is made in space. I know, isn't that wild? So the oxygen was made inside of a star, and it was released from that star probably when it exploded. But then through astronomical processes, it would combine with hydrogen and it gets water. And in fact, we see water throughout our galaxy. And one of the biggest questions about the water on our planet is where did it come from? Was it brought here by meteors? Or was it created when our planet was created as well? And it looks like it was probably brought in by comets. But here's another interesting thing. You know that these elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, they combine to form molecules. And of course, organic molecules are built around the element carbon because carbon can do some really cool things. It forms four covalent bonds and it can form stable molecules by bonding with itself. So when we look out into the galaxy and we look at the light spectra from other stars or from nebula, not only do we find hydrogen gas and helium, we find water, but we can also find evidence for organic molecules. That's pretty wild, isn't it? And not only that, every now and then a meteor hits the Earth and we'll find it. And some of the meteors that have hit the Earth actually have organic molecules and not just any organic molecules. They have molecules called amino acids. Now, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins and proteins. I mean, we're basically proteins, right? Now, the reason why that we know that the amino acids found on a meteor did not come from life on the earth, we know that they're not contaminated by bacteria, is because all life on this planet uses what is called a left-handed amino acid. I know, it's kind of weird. Molecules can be right or left-handed, but think about your hands. They have the same parts. They're mirror images of each other. But if you try to place your hands over each other, they are not superimposable. You have a right hand and a left hand. They are subtly different. And you know this because you can't put a left-handed glove on your right hand. Put your shoes on backwards, you'll know it instantly. Molecules are the same way. And all the amino acids created by life on this planet are all left-handed. Hmm, sounds like common ancestry to me. But when we analyze these amino acids, and in fact one of them, had over 90 different amino acids. 90. Life only uses 20. Well, at any rate, those amino acids came in both left-handed and right-handed forms in almost equal amounts. And that means they almost certainly were not made by life on the Earth. And probably not from life in outer space either, but they were made through chemical processes in deep space. Wow, isn't that amazing? So these ingredients of life, like organic molecules and water, can also be made in space and brought to the Earth. Now, whether or not life depended on these early amino acids being brought in by meteors, we don't really know. But yet, it is a possibility. So isn't that wild? 
that you can get organic molecules, specifically amino acids, which are precursors for proteins, coming in from outer space is just another example of how life is connected to the universe. Oh, wait, there's more. I know, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Remember how I told you that supernova explosions create all these heavy elements used by life on this planet? I had neglected to tell you that they also create elements heavier than iron. They make lead, uranium, cadmium, arsenic, mercury, silver, and gold. So if you're wearing a gold necklace, that gold was made when a star blew up. Isn't that a wild? Okay, well, here's another thing about supernova explosions. They're creating all these elements for us. And while that's important, it turns out when we look deep in the Earth's past, we have these mass extinctions. And the, the early ones, you know, about 400 million years ago, we're not entirely sure what caused those mass extinctions. And now there's evidence that one of those mass extinctions may have been caused by a nearby supernova explosion that radiated the Earth. So not only are these astronomical processes making life possible, they may also be negatively affecting life by causing mass extinctions, at least potentially. But I wouldn't worry about it today. The nearest star that's about to go supernova is hundreds of light years away. And if Betelgeuse were to go supernova, it would be one of the most spectacular astronomical events of a millennia. Because the last one that we could see was about a thousand years ago. And surprisingly, the Earth is actually cross paths of ancient supernova as well. There's evidence that about a million years ago, we went through the remains of an ancient supernova because we find something called Iron 60. Iron 60 is a radioisotope of iron. It's unstable. It's got too many neutrons in its core, so it decays into other elements. And it has a half-life of about 2.6 million years. And interestingly, we've pulled up some sediment cores from the ocean, finding Iron 60. And basically, the only way you're going to get Iron 60 is if you created it, and you'd have to create it through a nuclear process like nuclear fusion from a supernova explosion. So it's pretty cool that we can actually find evidence of the Earth crossing paths with the remnants of supernovas from the last few million years. Okay, well that's about all I have on life's connections to the universe. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I mean, for me, it's always fun talking about how we're stardust and contemplating the age of the elements, and even the building blocks inside of our body. Until next time, this is Tom Sycast.